Good morning, Ivan Rust, and thank you for having me this morning. Uh, my name is Lynette Vandehoof Myers. I am in my last semester, or going into my last semester, at Calvin Seminary. Uh, so this year is um, full of who knows what uh, for me, and you have new things happening here too. Congratulations on your new pastor who's coming. That's uh, very exciting, and I pray that that transition will go well. This morning, I'll be preaching from Numbers 13. Uh, next week, you'll meet my husband, Dan. We got married last May, last year. Um, we had a nice little COVID ceremony at the seminary chapel, and we hope that this year brings the ability to celebrate with family and friends. My family is back in Canada, um, and Dan's is kind of around Michigan, but I'll let him introduce himself next week. So this morning, we have Numbers 13, um, which felt a little bit strange thinking about preaching from Numbers um, the very first Sunday of the new year, but it actually works surprisingly well because the Spirit does cool things like that. So, Numbers 13, uh, verses 1 and 2, and then uh, we'll jump over the big list of names and read 17 to 33. Numbers 13. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like, and whether the people who live there are strong or weak few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit in the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob through Libo Hamath. They went up there through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahimon, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. 
We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Joey is a little boy, about seven years old. He likes to go exploring in the field behind his house. Joey wades through the tall grass. He's on the hunt for grasshoppers. When he spots one, he sneaks up to it slowly. He doesn't want to scare it away yet. When he gets just close enough, he stomps on the grass right near it. The grasshopper jumps up and flies a short distance away. Joey is delighted. His eyes frantically follow the grasshopper's flight, its jumping flight. What a fascinating little creature. Joey never tires of sneaking, stomping, and staring at that little body and its wings. The burst of activity that follows his stomping. It's a small stomp by human standards, but a giant stomp from a grasshopper's point of view. The giant connected to that stomp is very frightening indeed. Most of the explorers in our text today view their adventure with grasshopper eyes. The Lord told Moses to have some men explore the land. And so Moses sends men from each tribe on that mission. He has questions. Is the soil good? Are things growing? Are there trees? Does fruit grow there? And then Moses adds some non-land questions to the agenda. How are the people and their cities? Are they strong, powerful? This is the land the Lord promised to their ancestor Abraham generations ago. 
These are the inhabitants that the Lord promised to conquer on Israel's behalf. But what are they like? Moses and the people want to know what they're up against. It's been weeks since the men left, but now they've been seen at a distance by the watchmen. They're finally returning. The whole Israelite camp is curious to hear their report. What have they discovered about the place that will be their new home? The men finally arrive. They have a very large bunch of grapes with them. That seems promising. They must be very tired. It's been a long journey, and no one knows what they've come up against. The explorers begin to report their findings. There is good news. The land is indeed very fertile. They show the big bunch of grapes. Look at the bountiful crops that can grow there. The soil must be quite good. There are trees and fruit growing in different places. This is delightful to hear after spending much time in the desert. In their new homes, they will have farms and they will grow their own food and they will have enough to eat. Then the mood shifts a little. The explorers note that they did see a variety of people living in the land. They seem strong and powerful, and their cities are fortified. The people are big, basically the descendants of giants. The people begin to murmur. They were not anticipating giants. The people are growing anxious. Caleb, one of the explorers, tries to turn the report back in a positive direction. But it seems the other explorers have already made up their minds. It's impossible. The people are too big and too strong. Their story grows, as does the people's fear along with it. The land is no longer fruitful and filled with hope. Now it devours the people that live there. It doesn't provide enough food for people to eat. They won't survive. But they don't really even need to worry about that because they won't get past the people. They're giants, and not just any giants. They're the Nephilim, those part human, part angel people from before the flood. They're enormous, practically otherworldly. There is no hope of defeating them, ever. The Israelites are basically grasshoppers next to them, tiny insects 
easy to spook or crush. Canaan will never be their home. These mixed messages must be confusing. The Israelites are on the edge of something new, the edge of a promised new life. They want to be hopeful, but the news seems mainly distressing. They lose their trust in the promises of their great God. Instead of joy and hope, they look to their promised future with fear. Like the Israelites, we are on the edge of something new, a new year. Sometimes finishing that countdown, watching those fireworks, and waking up to a new year feels like the promise of a new life. We want to be hopeful. The new year is full of potential. Graduations, retirements, new jobs, new family members, new homes, new friends, new hobbies, time with people and hobbies we've loved for a long time. We can fill up pages with all the good that may be part of this year. But we wake up and we feel the same as yesterday. We have the same bad habits. We have the same issues in our relationships. And the news keeps feeding us mainly distressing information. We can move rather quickly from joy and hope to fear. The year looms ahead of us full of unknowns. Or perhaps what looms ahead is more known. We see the giants we're going to face and we are overwhelmed with fear. Kate and Lydia are sisters. Their mom was diagnosed with stage three cancer last year. It's been a difficult fight so far. It's been so strange watching their mom lose her strength so quickly. She's the one who has always fought on their side. Mom has stood with them through the good and the bad, through the death of loved ones, new jobs, difficult pregnancies, children, or for her, grandchildren. Mom has been a rock for them, a place of safety amidst the chaos of life. And now she's so sick. She got pneumonia over Christmas. She's in the hospital. Cancer and pneumonia. These giants loom large on their horizons. Kate and Lydia are afraid. They are afraid of a future without mom. They are afraid of the giant of death, the giant of loss, the giant of grief. 
Kate and Lydia look to this year, their future, with fear. For David, a single dad, it's his business and his kids. He only started his business a year and a half ago. David had no idea there would be a worldwide pandemic and quarantines and lockdowns. So much sickness and fear. He had no idea people would be out less and shopping less. David's afraid that the business won't make it through the year. COVID-19 looms large in his mind. David is afraid that the business will fail, that he won't be able to pay for childcare, that he'll lose their home, his kids will be without a safe place to live. Maybe he'll be separated from his kids. David is afraid. He is afraid of the giant of failure, the giant of loss, the giant of uncertainty. David looks to this year, his future, with fear. Like the Israelites, we lose sight of hope. We forget about the promises made to us. We feel we must handle these giants alone. But all we have are little grasshopper bodies. And there are stomping giants' feet surrounding us. In the Israelite camp, Caleb, one of the explorers, motions for everyone to be quiet. He notices the rising anxiety. He doesn't believe it's necessary. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it, he shouts. Caleb hasn't forgotten his God. Caleb knows that the Lord has promised to go with them and before Israel and fight for them. He remembers the Lord's saving actions throughout their wilderness journey. The escape from Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, manna and quail from the skies, water from rocks, battles won. Caleb is confident that the Lord will make good on his promises. The Lord will go before them. The Lord will fight their battles. The land that the Lord promised their ancestors will be theirs. They need only trust. Caleb has seen all the same sights as the other explorers. He has seen the good soil, the trees and fruit growing. He has tasted the produce of the land. He has seen the people and their cities. And yet, Caleb's response is very different than the others. Caleb 
chooses trust in the Lord instead of giving in to fear. This choice does not take away the fear that arises within him. Caleb is not impervious to fear and anxiety. However, the fear does not rule his choice. Trust rules his choice. Trust in the God who created the land. Trust in the God who promised the land to Abraham. Trust in the God who has proven himself faithful many times, even in Caleb's lifetime. Caleb trusts God. Caleb is confident that God will act as he has promised. And because Caleb trusts God, he will live in the promised land. Another promise from God. Those like Caleb who choose to trust the Lord's faithfulness will live in the promised land. They will taste its fruit and enjoy God's rest. Like Caleb, we can shift our gaze. Instead of seeing only our own small grasshopperiness, we look to our great God, our faithful God, the God who created the world, the God who created our small bodies, the God who kept his promises to Israel, the God who became a person and lived with us, the God who wept with his friends over the death of a loved one, the God who looked disease and pain in the face every day, the God who spent most of his time with the poor, the homeless, the people on the edges of society, the God who cried out and wept over his own coming death. Yet he also chose to look to the faithful father instead of giving in to his fear. Those scary stomping giants don't disappear when we choose to look to God. We know they exist. and We will still meet and contend with them the giants of disease, death, loss, grief, giants of failure, hopelessness, and uncertainty. Like Caleb, we do not all of a sudden become impervious to the fear of these giants. Yet we choose to focus on God and God's promises, God's presence with us. Emmanuel, God with us, promised, I will be with you until the end of the age. And he promised to send his spirit, the comforter, to be with us too. We are never alone. We can trust God to keep his promises. We can trust that he will be God with us always. We will face these giants with God. 
We will not need to rely on our small little selves to conquer the giants. We can face the giants bravely, aware of their size, yet confident in our even greater God. We each have giants that loom on the horizon of this new year. Mine happen to be giants of exams and interviews and bureaucracy and the giants of uncertainty, loss, and grief. These giants loom on my mind's horizon. I am tempted to give in to fear, anxiety, and despair. The giants feel so big. Sometimes they almost overwhelm me. But then I remember Caleb and Jesus, God with us. I remember that I do not and will not face these giants on my own. I will never be alone this year. God promised to be with his people as they faced the giants in their promised land. God promises to be with me as I face the giants in the year ahead. And God promises to be with you as you face your giants in the year ahead. God invites us to trust in him and he promises us rest when we do. The giants remain, but we rest in the promise that God goes before us and with us, fighting our giants. People loved by God, I invite you to trust in God and rest in God's presence in 2021. Let's pray. Triune God, we thank you for always being with us. Thank you for never leaving us. Thank you for your delightful presence with us. Thank you for inviting us into your rest. We need your help to trust you. We cannot enter your rest on our own. Please grow the seeds of trust in us that they may bear fruit. May your peace flow in and out of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.